Good morning and welcome to another Wednesdays in the Word. I'm so glad you could join with me today as we continue in this extended study of the book of Romans. We're in the midst of the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. In fact, my intention today is to finish the sixth chapter. I want to pick up our reading in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness that led to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been talking in Romans chapter 6 and studying it fairly closely in a number of sessions together about the reality of sin in the life of the redeemed believer. We're talking about believers now. Uh, Romans 6 is not applicable to the unbeliever. But for those who've been justified by faith, who now stand right before God, God turns attention to the reality of the struggle that sin will still be in the life of such redeemed believers. Sin, though forgiven in the cross, sin, though the ultimate accountability for it has been removed as we've been justified, covered by the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ, sin can still hurt us and corrupt us here and now in this life as a believer. When we were saved, we died to sin. But the reality is sin has not died. Sin continues to be an active agent, a continuing temptation and problem in the midst of living in this fallen world. You and I have a definite battle going on, a battle over the control of our life now as a redeemed believer. As we studied that further throughout the sixth chapter, we learned that victory in that battle Success over that continuing temptation from sin is rooted in several things. Number one, an acceptance of the reality that God has made us into new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how 2 Corinthians 5.17 put it, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. And so God says, let's begin understanding our relationship to sin and the solution to the battle by understanding you're not who you once were. You are a different person. I've made you new. However, second point, even though we've been made new, the old person we were, what's called the old self, the old man, still remains a reality and problem because that old man has its residual effects in the midst of our thinking processes, in the midst of the training and habitual actions of our minds, our bodies. In other words, we still have the old programming around. And as a consequence, there's a war going on between the new man that God has made us 
And that old programming, which we recognize in the members of our body, Romans 7 put it that way, that there's a war going on between what we see in our members of our body in the deepest level of our heart. We also learned that the new self, one of the consequences of being made a new creation, is that we've been set free by Christ. He's made us new creations in order that we could live in newness of life, in order that we could live differently. What a great tragedy it is when someone comes to know Christ but continues to live as if they hadn't. They don't demonstrate walking in newness of life, even though they may well have been covered by the atoning work on the cross. God says, I made you a new creation in order that you could walk in newness of life. But he also warns us, even as a new creation, you can be enslaved once again, here and now at least, to sin in your life. You end up being enslaved or controlled by that to which you give in. Who are you giving in to? Are you giving in to God, to the Holy Spirit's direction, to his word? Or are you giving in to that old self that is in the members of your body? There will always be consequences. And he says, even as a redeemed believer, you could still be enslaved if you make the wrong choices. So how do we not make those choices? And he said, well, we've learned about the importance of reckoning, of considering. We need to accept what God has said about certain things. We need to accept that, in fact, we are a new creation at the deepest level. We need to accept the fact that we are now dead to sin. Well, sin's alive and, and an active agent combating us, but we are now at the deepest level dead to it. We need to accept God's message that we no longer must sin, that there can be victory in this struggle that's going on. But we also need to accept, as, this, as these six chapters made plain to us, that victory requires nothing less than a determination to surrender. There is no such thing as victory in this battle that goes on in the life of a believer for the individual believer who does not choose to present their body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Listen, when we do not allow him to be the Lord of our lives, not only our Savior, but our Lord, when we don't permit that, we cannot have victory over the old self, over the world over Satan's temptations. There's a prerequisite for victory, and it is surrender. God says, keep reminding yourselves about that. You can't negotiate it with me. Here is the indispensable ingredient. And then secondly, the indispensable ingredient in victory and growth is drawing upon the Holy Spirit's enablement. Because now as a new creation, you've also been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit's power, not your own intuitive strength, that will enable you to have victory in this battle. Surrender, reliance on the indwelling Holy Spirit. And by the way, that indwelling Holy Spirit will not give you strength and energy in the battle apart from a determination on your part to be surrendered. You can't have it your way. You have it God's way or you don't have it at all. You follow the point? All right, well, that's where we've been. Now, today, in these final verses of the sixth chapter, I want to talk about 
the issue of the spiraling effect of the choices you and I make about these things. Part of the motivation to be surrendered, part of the motivation to be living as a true disciple, letting Christ be Lord in our life, is taking seriously the fact that there are consequences and in fact spiraling consequences from the choices you and I make about how we're going to live our lives now as redeemed believers. And God begins discussing that spiraling effect in verse 19 by using these words. He says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. God is using terminology we can understand to describe something that is, in a sense, a bit beyond our comprehension. We find it difficult to understand spiritual truths at times. And in fact, to really understand all that goes on in our life would require a knowledge we could not possess. And so God addresses us on the level we can grasp with essential truth that we can act upon. It doesn't make us uh, omniscient and understanding all that's going on in our life in this new life struggle between the old man and the new man and facing sin's temptation. But we can understand enough of it to deal with it. And it ought not to surprise us that the deepest aspects of all of this are going to always be a bit beyond our comprehension. Remember when Jesus was dealing with Nicodemus on the issue of the gospel? He said in John chapter 3 this, he says, If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how could you believe if I told you about heavenly things? Because no one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So even Nicodemus was struggling related to the gospel with things that he saw were just a bit beyond comprehension. And yet God was revealing the essence of those truths and he was calling for Nicodemus to believe them, just as he does with us on this whole issue of sin in the life of a believer. God takes a very complex reality with levels of things that we could not completely comprehend, and he simplifies it for our brains. Then he says, here, on a level you can understand, here are some things that you need to understand about sin, about new life in Christ, and what you need to be doing about it. Hey, all of us are like Nicodemus. We have limitations. And so God says, I know that. I'm going to put it in terms you can understand. Understand that these are the essential truths. Also understand that there's more to it than you can ever comprehend completely. But what you can comprehend, as I'm framing it for you, will be truth that you can act upon. No words are exactly accurate to explain to us what happens within our souls. No words are completely accurate in the sense of comprehensive to explain to us how the Holy Spirit works. As John 3 puts it, he works like the wind. Uh, however, Words are what God uses to describe to us the essence of these things so that we can understand enough about them, these complex spiritual realities, to trust and obey him, to know what he wants us to do about it. He will give us enough understanding, number one, to be saved, and number two, as is the focus of the whole sixth chapter of Romans, to give us enough understanding on how to live now as redeemed people, living in victory rather than defeat. So let's move on into these simplified words that God is using to help crystallize for us this whole dynamic. He goes in verse 19 and he says, Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, 
into lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. He says, here's the first of these dynamics. Realize, remind yourself of what life was before you came to know me. Before you came to know me, before you turned to the gospel, the reality of your life is you were continuing to make choices to give your body over to sin. Now, when he says that, he's not just talking about gross immorality. He's talking about sin in the sense of self-will, determining to be the God of your own life, doing what you want to do. And he says, when you did that, and your orientation of life was that way, yielding to sin led to ever-increasing sin. You became more self-centered. You became more the God of your own life. And if there happened to have been moral consequences tied to that, you became all the more enslaved to those moral outcomes. Impurity and lawlessness, rejecting of God's law, the greatest of which was to surrender yourself, remember, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To reject those truths led to more lawlessness. Things were only getting worse as time went on in our lives before we came to know Christ. Now, all of us should be able to say, well, amen to that. That was the truth about where we were. And he also reminds us, not only is that where we were, but he reminds us in verse 21, what fruit were you getting from all of that? What fruit were you getting from the things that you're now ashamed about? Because the very end of those things was death. Such a lifestyle lived in rebellion against God, only produced shame and death. That downward spiral is the picture of humanity in rebellion against God. He's reminding us that renewed slavery can lead to very similar outcomes in the life of the redeemed believer. <laughs> Even if we think it can't happen, if we're making choices to continue to live with somewhat the same mindset that we had before turning to Christ, a mindset that did not include letting him be Lord in our life, the consequence of that will end up being things that we will be equally ashamed about. And we will end up being equally controlled by. So he says, listen, even if you think as a redeemed believer this can't happen, wake up. Giving in to sin, self-leadership in your life, will lead to deepening slavery to that very orientation of life. Surrender is the only safe place to be for the believer, because we never can be neutral. We're either going into slavery, or we're going into sanctification and redemption. And verse 19 ends that way, doesn't it? So he says, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Just as giving in to sin, self-control in our lives, leads to deepening slavery to all of that, so also giving God control, surrendering our lives to him, will lead to growing sanctification. Now this word sanctification uh, means literally to be made increasingly holy. And you see, that's a process going on in our life here and now as a redeemed believer. God is gradually transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us, yes. We are covered with the perfect life of Christ, yes, justified in the sight of God. But here and now, there's a process of reconstruction going on. 
God is building us, molding us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in the process of turning us into lights in the midst of darkness. You and I are not only called to be messengers of light, sharing the light of the gospel with the unsaved world, but we are called to be light, to reflect the light in the way that we live. And so God says, listen, I am interested that a process be occurring in your life and in my life of sanctification. And that process will not occur if you are not choosing to present your body to me as a living sacrifice. I want to transform you, not only save you. And what a tragedy it is when there are saved people who, while being made a new creation at their deepest level, do not reflect that in a transformed life. What a sad, tragic outcome. Sanctification, this process that he's saying will occur as we give God control in our lives, surrender our lives, letting him be Lord, happens in three ways. We make a decision to surrender the control of our life and obey God's word and his leading in our life. That's a fundamental determination to give over the driver's seat, give over the steering wheel, or as uh, some others have put it, give over the throne of our life. No longer be sitting on it, but letting God sit on it. He is now our Lord. We are now the servants, and we determine to live with him in control, serving him, fulfilling his purposes. That's where it begins. And so he says, you need to make a choice about this. And if you don't choose this, you can't be sanctified. If you don't choose this, you will not find victory over the enslaving and spiraling downward effects of sin in your life. So there's a fundamental decision about who's in control. And to have growth in sanctification, victory over the downward pull of sin, victory over temptation from the old man, from the world, from Satan, it requires nothing less than a decision to let him be the Lord of our lives. Secondly, it requires nothing less, as we've already seen in this chapter, nothing less than determining to allow the Holy Spirit's enablement in our life, to draw upon that enablement, to accept the fact we don't have a source of strength in and of ourselves, and therefore we approach life cooperatively, determining to be surrendered and obedient, and determining to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit's enablement, an enablement that will be there if we are surrendered to God. And then thirdly, a decision to be in his word, because that word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. That word, as 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, and trains us. It is the word of God that transforms in our lives. So you see it? Determining surrender, determining dependency, and determining transforming through the word. That becomes a central piece of growing and spiraling up in sanctification. The upward spiral will always happen when we choose those things. 
It will always result in us growing and increasing in Christ likeness. Now, I know there'll be times in your life and in my life where we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm doing those things. I don't think I'm growing, Lord. I, I don't think I'm making the progress that I would like to be seeing. And God says, well, you don't see things the way I'm seeing it. In point of fact, if you're doing these things, you are growing. In point of fact, if you're doing these things, I am at work in you to transform you increasingly into the image of my son. And at certain points, it'll be much more evident to you. But I want you to trust me, that's what's going on and I'm doing this. By the way, this upward spiral that is promised to us as a result of such decisions is the reason why Romans 12.1 says it is our reasonable choice to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> the logical thing to do in light of what God has made plain in his scripture is to live surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. It is illogical for the believer not to do that, and yet many succeed in spending a good portion of their lives, even as redeemed believers, living in an illogical place, refusing to do what is the logical thing to do in light of the things that God's word has to say. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't live your life illogically. Do the reasonable thing, which is, as a redeemed believer, to follow God's direction and discover the way of pathway to growing sanctification in our lives. Now, by the way, the very gospel itself prefigures these great truths. In a way, verse 23 ends the chapter by saying, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a repeat of the gospel. Now, why does he repeat the gospel here? And I believe primarily, not that it's new information for us, all of that has been said to us in chapters 1 to 5 of the book of Romans. He repeats it here because he's underscoring the fact that the dynamics linked to the gospel become, in a way, the very dynamics linked to growth as a believer, a redeemed believer. You and I are saved, responding to the gospel, you and I are saved by believing what God tells us about sin and about judgment. In other words, you and I were saved when we believed what God said about our sin and its consequential lostness, believing when he, that he meant it, that the wages of sin is death, believing that we had no hope apart from what Christ had done for us, and therefore confessing our sin, and also believing what God said about the forgiveness that is granted to us when we turn to Christ as Savior. You and I believed those things. We took God at his word and demonstrated that by repenting and believing in the gospel. You see that dynamic of the gospel? That's not a new message. We've been examining it throughout this book. But God is now saying that same dynamic of response to what I'm saying, I want you to follow in your day-to-day -day walk now as a redeemed believer. I want you in the same way to choose to believe that what God said about sin now as a redeemed believer is equally true. And what he says he wants us to do about it, what he says we have to do about it, is equally true. Believe us. Believe God's word that sin will be a continuing struggle. Believe God's word that choosing wrongly will lead to growing slavery to sin once again. Believe God's word that God has made us new. Believe God's word that we uh, can reckon 
and rest in the work of the Holy Spirit and that we can find victory. In other words, believe God's word when he says the solution is to present your body as a living sacrifice and to live in conscious reliance upon the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Believe God's word and act on it. We must choose the path of growth, the path of holiness. So you see the parallel? Believing God's word about the gospel demonstrated by a determination to act on the gospel in repentance and faith. Now he says, believing God's word about growing in victory in the Christian life and demonstrate that you're believing it by presenting your body as a living sacrifice, no longer fighting the lordship question. And then in having done that, relying upon the enabling of the indwelling Holy Spirit, believing the Holy Spirit is there and will enable you to move forward in victory and ever-growing sanctification in our day-to-day walk. Summary, the six chapter is saying to us, as redeemed believers, we're either going to be growing in sanctification or we're going to be growing in slavery to sin. We will never be static, growing or enslaving. There is no growing because you and I decide we want to try to be good people. (laughs) Growing only happens with surrender and dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Anything less, even if it's imperceptible to us, means we are diminishing and increasing slavery to both self and ultimately to sin in our lives. God has made the great provision for salvation. He's made the great provision for growth. The choice comes down to the individual. Will I choose to be saved? Or will I choose to grow? What are your choices? Have you chosen to be saved and demonstrated it by trusting what God had to say and repenting and believing? Have you chosen to grow by believing and accepting what God has to say and presented your body as a living sacrifice, giving him lordship, and then consciously living in dependency upon the indwelling Holy Spirit's help? What's true of you, brothers and sisters? Well, think about these things. Next time, Lord willing, we'll get into the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. And I hope that you can join with me in that time and that together we can continue to unfold the riches of God's word. God bless.